All right, guys, it is episode 299, almost 300. Like I said, probably not going to do anything special for 300, but I will do something special for 312. That will make the sixth year anniversary of this freaking show. Not missing an episode. Always out on Tuesday and Wednesday every freaking week for the most part. So let's hop into the reviews. And the first one up is going to be from Arrow Video. And this is a revisit. This is from the early 90s, which are exactly 1992. And this is The Vagrant. Now, this was initially put on uh, DVD by Screen Factory. And then it was upgraded to Blu-ray. And, you know, I had seen this one uh, once or twice before, maybe only one time. And it had been a long time since I watched it. Initial Blu-ray release is probably when I first watched it. So this stars uh, the late, great Bill Paxton, who is wonderful. It's a starring role, an early starring role for Bill Paxton. I know he's been in a bunch of stuff before, but never really as a star. It also has uh, Marshall Bell in it, who's kind of a you know underrated character actor in a slew of films. And another classic kind of uh, cult actor in Michael Ironside. I can't think of who's the actress in here that's a lot of fun she is another kind of like uh definitely um one of those names that you'd know right when you've seen it um it also has a score by um christopher young everybody knows that name from hellraiser and nightmare on elm street part two very powerful scores great great underrated composer and it's directed by chris wallace wallace i think is how you say it and i know his name because he did special effects on the fly and you can definitely tell um when you look at the effects in this film i believe he was doing the effects as well that this was directed by a guy who knows his way around special effects. He did a really good job here. So essentially what we have here is this super neurotic guy in Bill Paxton, and he just buys a house kind of in a, a kind of a crummy neighborhood in, you know, I think it's LA uh, area. It definitely looks like an LA movie. And uh, basically he notices this vagrant around and that's Marshall Bell. And he's really kind of grotesque. He has a dead eye. He just is all covered in a lot of makeup, almost to the point where he looks like a freaking universal monster, like a long Cheney senior role or something like that. And he'd be kind, kind of obsessed with this, because he realizes this homeless, this vagrant was kind of staying in his house, squatting and everything like that. So it bothers him completely and he starts to be obsessed and before long, some people start ending up murdered and he gets super paranoid. It's kind of like a zany, goofy, gross uh, Roman Polanski apartment trilogy, if that makes any sense to anyone. Um, Before long, there's a detective on Bill Pax's tail and Michael Ironside, him and his partner and Ironside plays it straight, but he's absolutely hilarious in here, delivers the goods. Um, Bell is tremendous to um so so like uh basically this is just a really fun uh more gory and splattery and zany movie than you would expect now, in the early 90s and late 80s, there was just a slew of these bonkers, off-the-wall films. Like, I guess I'd put it in the same caliber as something almost like Evil Ed, but not quite as insane, or Ed and His Dead Mother. Just these bizarre movies, or The Dark Backward, if anybody's ever seen that one, with Bill Paxton and Judd Nelson. But this one just has a certain charm to it that I just absolutely re-fell in love with it. I remember liking it, but I did not remember enjoying it this much. But uh, just the faces that uh, Marshall Bell kind of makes and everything like that. This, this is how Bill Paxton starts to slip, you know, his sanity starts to slip, and you're, like, not sure what he actually is seeing through all the fever dreams and everything like that. And there's these little gross details, and, like, every character is zany and weird, and it's just dressed, the sets are dressed really well. Um, so, basically, it, it kind of turns into this wild road movie where Bill Paxton kind of abandons his life, and not road movie, but, you know, different locations, and he's, like, <laughs> he looks such, like, you know, a classic kind of, like, hillbilly kind of guy with his mullet but uh yeah the the vagrant doesn't end there it gets even crazier um Basically, there's uh, some interviews on here. Unfortunately, none with Bill Paxton as he had passed, but there's an interview with Marshall Bell, and he talks about you know how much he loved working with Bill, and same thing with Michael Ironside. They have a lot of fond memories of the movie, and they just said they all had a great time. Marshall Bell and Michael Ironside have been in a slew of movies together. They both pop up in some Verhoeven movies. I mean, like if you guys aren't familiar with Michael Ironside, he's in, of course, you know, Scanners, Visiting Hours, Total Recall, Starship Troopers, and Marshall Bell's and stuff like Nightmare on Elm Street 2, Starship Troopers, things that do in Denver when you're dead. So like uh these guys are just like con- like they're in everything and, and like their resume together is insane but uh you know the interactions between all the actors is tremendous and bill paxton you know it gives him a lot of room to be kind of off the wall and weird you know paxton had done this kind of kinetic you know great energy and stuff like aliens and near dark and and true lies and, and you know paxton is just uh I, you know he's one of the actors that i always really loved growing up and it's, it's a shame he's gone but he, he he's such a cult actor and you 
you don't really know he's a cult actor. He breaks into the mainstream too, because I mean, like he has stuff like Tombstone and and uh, like I said, Aliens and um, Terminator. He pops up in Frailty, um, One False Move. Um, Bill Paxton is in so many movies, A Simple Plan, and, and his his choice of films that he had picked are always so tremendous. Um, there are some other features in here as well. I believe there's an interview with the director. I remember watching tons of special features on here, and I loved it all. Um, yeah, Vagrant remembers a new interview with director Chris Wallace. And then, like I said, Marshall Bell. And then we have Ironside. And then Handling His Property, interview with Colleen Camp. That is the actress I was trying to think of. She's absolutely hilarious in here. And like I said, it gets gory. It gets weird. Um, I love this movie. It looked great. It sounded great. It was just like one of those kind of hidden gems that I forgot was this good. Um, it's The Vagrant. Uh, and the nice little cover art there, too. You see Bill Paxton in the eye, or the likeness of Bill Paxton. Maybe not too much alike, because they might get in trouble. But anyways, a lot of fun. I, I don't want to overhype this for you guys, but this one's a blast. It always has been. Good stuff. Okay, the next one here is from MVD Rewind, and this is The Last American Virgin from 1982. And I had heard about this film for years. It always had a good reputation of being like, you know, the best sex comedy or the best teen kind of movie along with Fast Times at Ridgemont High, Dazed and Confused. But, like, you know, Fast Times was really early in the cycle, and so is this one. It's way before, like, we got to, like, the zaniness of movies, movies like Porky's and Revenge of the Nerds, where, like... Although all these movies are considered fairly inappropriate and, you know, rapey, I guess you would say is the term, the, uh, you know, the, the definition or whatever. But this one, it, it had like a real amount of heart to it. So like I, my letterbox review was, oh, this is a sex comedy from the 80s. This should be funny and, and inappropriate. Wait a minute. Why am I crying? So this is based off of what the Lemon Popsicle, which is an Israeli film made in, what, the 70s, and produced by uh, Golan and Globus. So when they came over from Canon Films, they decided to remake this one eventually as The Last American Virgin, and they hired the same director to do it. So this basically kind of life experiences of this director done in kind of an American way, and it follows the story of really one character, but uh, it, it kind of two uh, of his buddies as well, one who sleeps around a lot and gets all the girls, and one kind of heavier guy who's always really like, oh, basically their wallet. Um, this also has cult actress Diane Franklin in here who pops up and stuff like like Bill and Ted, um, Terror Vision. She's also in Better Off Dead. She's in a slew of great classic kind of like teen movies. She's also in the final interview. Yes, Fred Vogel's movie. So I mean like Diane Franklin's been around forever and she's great in this as well. So um, the thing is, the soundtrack was super 80s. It's um, some of my favorite songs in here. Oh no. I mean like the favorite use of songs in an 80s soundtrack. Oh no by the Commodes, I believe. Um, had some car songs, Shake It Up, uh, Since You've Been Gone. And they use these songs to such great use that they're ungodly depressing and you just feel in the mindset of the main character so basically this main character kind of falls for this girl but his friend starts dating her and like throughout the end I don't want to spoil the entire movie but something really crazy and tragic happens and it doesn't turn out the way that a Hollywood movie would turn out it turns off it's like this zaniness and weirdness and antics and all these kind of all oh, this is dangerous and inappropriate and funny stuff happening in the movie but the end just hits you right in the gut and it's downbeat and it's realistic and it's just life and <clears throat> You can tell there's a lot of personal experiences in here. Um, it also has Brian Pack from Return of the Living Dead in here, you know, uh, Scuzz. Um, and he plays an oddball character as well. And there's some just weird stuff that only the 80s sex comedies could do, but there's also a real heart to this film that really goes a long way, that really kind of surprised me. And I had heard that for years, but I didn't know how much it would deliver. You know, you hear so many things all the time, but by the end of this, I was really emotionally caught up in it, and I was really touched by the entire thing, and I think it's probably the best sex comedy on paper. You know, I'm not on paper, but in, like as, in terms of quality. I mean, I love Revenge of the Nerds, I do, but it's, it doesn't pack the same punch that this one does it feels just genuine and and touching and different it was kind of before and it's very funny too even though it's inappropriate and riddled with nudity and sex it's still a funny movie on top of that and it reflects the time wonderfully um i don't think there was there was an interview with the director which was nice because it gave you context on how much of this stuff was based off his real life um that's a 37 minute thing and then we have memories of a pizza boy interview with lawrence uh Mononso, who basically is the star of the film 27 minutes baby the 80s interview with diane franklin which is also great 21 minutes in praise of smaller movies interview with cinematographer adam greenberg 22 minutes and yeah and basically they even talk about remaking another one of these more in updated times and everything but this is a great movie if you love 80s films if you love teen comedies if you love sex comedies if you love depressing great dramas from the 80s check out the last american virgin i don't think you'd be disappointed i had heard about it for years and it was always hyped up and i ended up loving it still so great stuff
Okay, the next one up is the 4K debut of Lightyear, which is a company that I think MVD is working with. And this is the Return of Swamp Thing, the sequel uh, to the 1982 Wes Craven film Swamp Thing. This is, of course, uh, based off the legendary DC comic, uh, who kind of had a resurgence because of Swamp Thing movies. This one was made in 1989 by Jim Wynorski, basically B-movie royalty. He did stuff like Chopping Mall and what was that one? Uh, Death Stalker 2 and about a million other movies. Jim Wynorski's had his hands in everything from Hard to Die to Sorority House Massacre. Uh, did he do part two? Yeah, and, and, and stuff like that. So Jim Wynorski is is no stranger to B-movies and Return to Swamp Thing. You know, it's a bigger movie than part one. At least it seems that way. I mean, they dropped CCR Born on a Bayou in the opening. And this is more in the vein of kind of a, a kid-friendly Swamp Thing, uh, not the Wes Craven vehicle that had people like Nicholsworth and... David Hess in it. Um, so basically, I have always enjoyed this one. I used to watch the Swamp Thing cartoon growing up and the Swamp Thing live-action television show that both were basically spawned off of this uh, um, this movie. And growing up, it was you know always around Swamp Thing action figures. I was always I always dug Swamp Thing to be honest. So basically, this film follows Arcane is back. What was the actor's name? Uh, he's like his classy actor. I always forget. Uh, he starred Gigi and his bird's name Gigi, whatever. And it also has. Oh, geez. Oh, why can't I remember her name? The big actress in this. I got to cheat. I can't believe I'm having like a brain fart. Louis, Louis Jordan and Heather Locklear, of course. And also Sarah Douglas is like this kind of like uh, villainous, you know, doctor. So essentially, Arcane is still living in the swamp. Somehow he survived um, and he needs like some special serum made up of his daughter, um, whatnot, of his stepdaughter to bring him back to life and fully function. Um, he's been doing all these experiments in the swamp and these people have been like these hybrids have been escaping if it's like a leech man or there's like an elephant man they've been escaping into the swamp and causing all sorts of problems in the very beginning there's a group of agents who are attacked by this leech guy it's a really fun scene it's really goopy i mean because the, the monster and it's just cool to have take place in a swamp and of course swamp thing comes and saves the day you know what the guy who plays swamp thing is really great he played swamp thing in both movies and the television series i really liked him what is it dick Dick Dur uh, Dick Murdoch. I always mispronounce his name. Dick Durdock. Durock. Dick Durock. There he is, and he's great in this. So basically, um, all the spe features I believe from the MVD Rewind are on here, but they did do a couple new ones. Reflections of Swamp Thing, 35 years later, and I'm pretty sure this is new because it's an interview with producer Michael E. Uslan, and he basically talks about you know the history of Swamp Thing, where he started, and how these movies got him kickstarted and to become a household name again. And I don't deny that. I definitely. Think think he's correct in that aspect because growing up for me you know i was born in 86 this one came out in 89 and throughout the early 90s you could not throw a rock without hitting something swamp thing he was very popular and, and what's weird is the toxic crusader toxic avenger was popular too so it's like these two strange kind of you know i don't even want to say like oddball superheroes were like everywhere when i was growing up and you know what when i think back i mean they're two of the ones that i enjoyed the most but as far as the picture quality on return to swamp thing looks it looks phenomenal it's top notch it sounds good there's no Subtitles, though, which is a bit of a disappointment. I would have enjoyed that. This is definitely a PG-13 movie, and it's definitely aimed at kids. They have these moments where Swamp Thing saves these kids that live in the bayou, and there's ridiculous antics. You know, A lot of explosions, though. It's a lot bigger than the first one, and it seems more like tonally correct if that makes any sense there's a lot of goofiness and zaniness and just feels more in the comic book line i do enjoy a lot of these comic book movies that are not your typical you know new wave dc and marvel films i like a lot of the old ones or the ones that are inspired by comic books like super or dark man anything like that i eat up dick tracy which is a comic strip and stuff like that the older certain time frame the original batman but you know like i just i guess i like my uh campy or pulpy movies like this i guess more than a lot of the other ones but this one is a lot of fun to be honest, and it looks great and sounds great. You know, there's good fight scenes, almost like pro wrestling fight scenes. That's kind of what you want to see with Swamp Thing, right? You want to see him, you want to see him get down and then get down, and it happens in both ways here, okay? But uh, besides the uh, the one new. Um, uh, special feet there's also a riff rack music video you ever love and swamp thing by the riff tones which is fun i think that's new audio commentary by director jim wynorski from 2018 audio commentary from jim wynorski 20 2003 interviews with jim director jim wynorski editor leslie rosenthal composer chuck serenio and Lightyear editor uh entertainment executive arnie holland original trailer six promotional tv spots two tv spots two greenpeace public service announcements 1989 promo reel photo gallery accompanied by chuck Sher 
Chernino's film score. So this is a lot of fun. It looks great. Sounds great on 4K. If you're a big fan of it, I would pick it up. Um, if you like Swamp Thing, it, it, you can't really do wrong on this. If you're not a big fan of Swamp Thing, or if you don't like the first one because you think it's too serious, why don't you give Return to Swamp Thing a, 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 kind of a spin because it's, it's a little different. It's more fun. The next one up is from Mado Macabro, and this is the third. This is actually the fourth time I've seen this movie. This is the third time I probably talked about it on my channel at some point. And this is In the Folds of the Flesh from 1970. This is actually directed. Let me get the director's name down: Sergio Brzezagozelli, and he did the movie Blood Delirium from the 80s, which is kind of crazy. Um, 1970. This is a bizarre film. Now, I initially covered this. I watched it years back, and then I covered it for a podcast, and I covered it for 1970, and now I've covered it again because it's got a, a Blu-ray debut from Mondo Macabro. Looks excellent. Sounds excellent. Now, this movie, some people call it Gialli, Giallo. I don't know what the fuck it is. It's so such a weird film, okay? Um, it is just one of the most off-the-wall mixture of kind of genres I've seen. Now, it is a mystery because there's a mystery element, Italian horror mystery. I guess you could say Gialli, Giallo, whatever you want to do, but some people define those all differently. But what is in here is kind of your basically like your, you know, psychological horror film as well. We kind of follow this family. Um, and, and it's a film of multiple characters who aren't who they say they are, and there's tons of reveals who they actually are. And, you know, by the fourth time I watched this, I pretty much knew exactly what was going on and how it was going to happen has some familiar faces in here has a ridiculous amount of sleaze a ridiculous amount of like a you know seedy exploitation style stuff so in the opening of the film there's a criminal trying to escape police he's like a classic you know actors in a bunch of you know spaghetti westerns and other films among the time and uh, i think he's in a pistol for ringo he's in dozens of these movies you recognize him right away so basically what happens is he thinks he witnesses a murder or, or a bearing of body he basically goes to prison and then we kind of fast forward to more modern times and we have this family living together and they live in this big mansion and the, the basically the patriarch or the person who runs this place has gone missing uh, supposedly they're dead and we have a daughter of this person and a son of the um, the person who's looking over the house the female here and it starts to get complicated because this guy shows up and he says I'm your cousin Nah, not necessarily. Somebody else shows up looking for him when some bad things start to happen and people start to get murdered and it becomes really complicated and insane. There's a Nazi flashback, which is definitely from a different film that incorporates nudity and weirdness. And it basically gives a setup for how somebody's going to off themselves in the film later on or commit, you know, murder at the same time, which is kind of cool. Uh, yeah, it's, it's pretty nasty for the time. If you think 1970, when you think a lot of 1970 movies, um, they're not all dull, but, uh, they're not as seedy or sleazy as this although sometimes they start to push the buttons and get around that time you know you had a lot of hammer movies too kind of like getting into the violence there and then you had stuff like girly and just weird kind of sexual psychosexual stuff too so it's kind of on brand but also not on brand because it's just such a weird movie with multiple twists and turns and just bonkersness and a lot of characters and a lot of flashbacks and a lot of mental insanity stuff going on also very gothic in that terms in that way so there is a commentary on here by sam deegan which is really fun and great and she talks a lot about the film and a lot about the characters i enjoyed seeing that i like the cover art here it's really really pretty not pretty good stuff and uh it looks great and sounds great it's the best i ever seen the movie look and that's in the folds of the flesh which um is the weirdest one of the weirdest movies in 1970 and i've seen about 100 and i don't remember how many more i did from 1970 over 100 uh horror and cult movies from 1970 and this still it, it, it's the top of the heat for weirdness for sure okay so you know some days you're just watching a lot of movies that you get to review or movies you want to watch obligations and everything like that but uh, i really wanted to check this one out i got it for christmas and it's one of my all-time favorite films i watched this movie a million times growing up and i still watch it whenever i get a chance to and this is the running man um with Arnold Schwarzenegger, based loosely on the Richard Bachman book, aka Stephen King, and this is directed by Paul Michael Glazer, or is yeah, yeah, the guy from uh, you know Starsky and Hutch, which is weird because last week I talked about uh, freaking Salem's Lot, and now we're talking about another, the other guy. Um, but yeah, this movie is bonkers. It has a uh, Mar Maria uh, Chicado Alonso. I always say her name wrong, but it's from Extreme Prejudice. It's also got Yalfit Kodo in it, and of course Richard Dawson, Sev Thorzen, Jim Brown. Just got an amazing cast in this film. A lot of familiar faces. So, uh, Professor... What is the professor's name who plays a goon? So, essentially, this is just uh, basically like a, a redo of Rollerball and kind of like 
Mega Man in this weird dystopian future. Uh, Arnold Schwarzenegger is this police officer who's wrongly framed. It's in a world where it's dystopian and everything is filmed and everything is altered. And basically, if you go against the corporations, you're done. The corporations basically, uh, the main thing is this big, you know, television program that runs everything. They're almost as big as the government. They, they direct, deal directly with the government. They want to keep people focused on this show called The Running Man, which basically pits criminals in this basically game of life and death against these gladiators who have all these special equipment, kind of like Mega Man villains. You have the you have the cold guy, you have the fire guy, you have the electric guy, you have the saw guy. So basically, all these kind of guys, uh, these special powers, and they have to pit them to against them to survive. And if you live, you get your freedom. So essentially, Arnold Schwarzenegger is uh, Benjamin Richards. He's this uh, ex-cop that was framed to killing all these innocent people in this like kind of helicopter like attack. So he's obviously innocent. We know he's innocent. And he goes to this crazy military-style prison where him, Yelfit Kodo, and someone else, I can't think of the guy's name, but he pops up in short circuit, decide to do this elaborate escape. It's gory. It's violent. And uh, when they decide to go underground, um, but Arnold Schwarzenegger gets caught because Richard Dawson, who is the game show host from Family Feud, basically is playing this crooked, evil game show. He's perfect in it. He's wonderful. He's an egomaniac, and you love it. Yes. So, uh, who loves you, and who do you love? Uh, Damon, yes. Uh, he's great in it. So, basically, they want Arnold for the running man, because he's got a, he's a very famous criminal, and they hate him. So, uh, basically, they put him and his buddies into the running man game, and it's for them to survive. Um, but uh, something that nobody counted on, Arnold is not only going to, you know, do well in this game, he's going to kill some of the stalkers. That's right. Also, uh, of course, um, geez, Jesse the Body Ventura is in here. He's wonderful, Captain Freedom. Um, he's great in this. I was killing guys 30 years ago in the zone. I don't need any of this crap. Um, so basically, one thing I really adore about this movie is the score. Um, I just love the score. I love the relationship between Yalfat Kodo and Arnold Schwarzenegger. They got some really good moments. This part where they kill one of the stalkers and they're walking away and you kind of see it on the screen at like the point of view of the live audience and they just stick their hand out and they give each other five. There's a great scene in Yes Ma'am like that too i believe it's the first yes man where like these two don't really get along all the time the two characters and they just one sticks their hand out and it's like boom give them five it's a great scene that happens kind of in here when they're walking away um arnold's got the great one-liners that he's famous for and stuff like you know predator and commando sub zero now just playing zero it's like it's as a kid i was like that's so bad but i love it now um like i said the bad guys are so fun in it they're so over the top so ridiculous it's an endlessly quotable movie for me this is also part of you i mean i'm gonna make it part of you uh the bad guys are great um like i said it's just got a great dystopian fu future here fleetwood mac is in here a lot of great comedy bits a lot of good action great villains uh richard dawson is just a perfect villain for this kind of thing and although it is kind of a redo of rollerball how we have the corporations running everything and they want to keep people focused on this evil villainous murderous violent game so they don't you know basically stand in picket lines is basically what like fleetwood mac says um but you know it's great and again, it's got our Alpha Kodo, who is one a wonderful actor and stuff like Blue Collar and Alien and just Drum and Warning Sign. I mean, the guy's in so many good movies and he's always so good. Um, and I, I'm a big Arnold fan. I grew up with Arnie. He's one of my favorite. He's my favorite action star, especially during this time frame when you're looking at stuff like Conan the Barbarian and Terminator and then Running Man and Total Recall and Predator and Terminator 2 and True Lies. It's like th those movies are so gold. All of them are one commando. They're all wonderfully entertaining actors action movies especially in the 80s to early 90s he was on top of his game um and this one's no different for me now it's very dissimilar to the bachman book it's not exactly i mean it has some of the same themes and everything you know people betting on these games but the original was kind of an everyday guy who decided to do it and it's it's not a criminal he's running cross country and everybody involved out and about here and you get points for killing cops and people like that it's pretty fucked up it's a really fucked up book but the richard bachman books were always that messed up but it's got a great ending this ending is uh not quite as dark of course it ends with john parr wrestles heart how dark could it be or running away from with you uh, which is also another wonderful song for the
the movie. Um, the 4K looked tremendous. It looked fantastic. Um, it only has a 5.1 VIX, but this is the best I've heard it sound in years because I have the old Blu-ray and uh, the DVD and stuff. And, and to me, it never sounded right. The, the sound mix wasn't great. This time, the sound mix was perfect. This, the levels with the dialogue and the uh, music fit perfectly. Back in the day when I first initially saw it and, it and it sounded right, it sounded like how it was supposed to this time. It wasn't overmixed or too loud or the dialogue was too loud. Also, how can I not mention Domino? He's so ridiculous. Or Erlen Von Lith, who pops up in stuff like Alone in the Dark. He's a very scary, big, giant pedophile in that movie from 1982. A great uh, slasher kind of style film from New Line. Uh, but yeah, um, The Running Man is just a tremendous movie. It's my favorite Arnold movie, and it's, I know I'm not saying it's the best, okay? Um, it's just very stylized and very fun, and I know all the music cues by heart. And I know all the dialogue by heart. Uh, it, this is just a very fun movie. It's got a couple Arnie regulars and, and Jesse Ventura and Sev Borzin. Uh, but yeah, it's just good stuff. Um, I don't want to be the only son of a bitch in heaven. Um, just great, man. I love this fucking movie. It's a game of death, too, right? You know, a game of survival. Those are always fun. Kind of redone in the movie Slashers from the early 2000s, which is this low-budget kind of horror film, Canadian horror film, where it's like a Japanese game show where people have to take on, like, uh, a bunch of these, like, villainous slashers, and they get killed. It's a really fun movie, too. Not as good as The Running Man. Not the budget isn't, too. And even stuff like, um, what's the movie I'm thinking of? Uh, by 31... Uh, by Rob Zombie, kind of as a riff on The Running Man, not nearly as good either. But I mean, yeah, it, it's it's kind of like Rollerball and New Gladiators and all that stuff like that. I love that kind of stuff. So Running Man, it's my favorite. Love it. Good stuff. Um, nice Steelbook. I, I prefer the slipcover than the Steelbook. I'm not a big Steelbook guy, but this is the only way I can get the 4K, and I gotta have my Arnold in 4K. Okay, the next one is a Bonkers movie from 1994, and this is by Ringo Lamb, and this is Burning Paradise. Now, most of Ringo Lamb movies are contemporary, kind of like gangster or crime films. This one is a period piece, and it has a lot of similarities to, like, old-school Shaw Brothers films, kind of the idea that, like, you got to go through, like, this this prison with all these booby traps, and there's a lot of these kind of whimsical or whimsy, what do they call that, when they have the, the crazy fight scenes where you're jumping off horses and flying through the air. It's very much like that instead of your kind of, like, bullet-fest John Woo that Ringo Lamb I think was more known for this is kind of like a fantasy horror element thing um, basically it's a, like I said a period piece and uh, the army basically invades and kills all these Buddhist monks and the Buddhist monks are on the run and it's up to like the last couple trying to escape before he is eventually captured and brought to this prison now he's not going to go down without a fight um, and he has some friends in here some people are who they uh, are different than they appear and before long there's this giant uprising of all the monks fighting the vi villains and everything like that the main bad guy in this movie is it's freaking tremendous. He's creepy. He's an artist. And they incorporate the art and a lot of the dialogue and how you can get, get to know him through his art and what he says. And he's also just like a creepy pervert. And he does these wild like, feats of strength and just is always trying to sleep with this. He's just an evil bastard and he's great. Um, the thing about action movies from this time, especially foreign action movies, um, any action movies before like a certain time, there's always these stakes. They're always violent. You're always worried about characters. And they could have this whimsical kind of feeling or fantasy, fantastical feeling in these fantasies action films, adventure films, but then the next second something really dark or twisted could happen, and I kind of love that about Hong Kong and Chinese cinema. I think it's more in the Hong Kong line for sure, not Chinese necessarily. But stuff like The Seventh Curse, like it has this lighthearted element to of a fantasy and action, but then it turns into straight horror. And this one has these moments too, where people's heads get ripped off, people get cut in half, and it's just it's really badass and awesome, and it reminds me of all those great Shaw Brothers movies in the terms of the fighting with the sword play, but more so the hand-to-hand -hand stuff, but then we get to like the booby traps, and that's straight out of like, I can't think of all the different Shaw Brothers movies where it's like oh you guys have to go into this giant uh, you know sneak into like this dungeon and get to the main and main bad guy no one can do it it's very much in that vein and I really appreciated that I thought the movie looked tremendous I thought the, the everything was good about it the action the, the choreographing was just top notch next level and they used their sets wonderfully people are falling off like a breaking bridge and there's spikes and there's fire this movie's badass this is a badass entertaining great movie that I can't see many people disliking now like I said, it is wild, and like I said, there's a lot, there's a decent amount of characters, and like, you like all of them, and people die, you don't expect to die, and how they die and stuff, it's a violent film, but it's funny too, and, and just has a great, uh, you know, tone, so I would really recommend checking Burning Paradise, and there's a nice special feature on here, which I absolutely adored, and it breaks down all his movies, and it talks, it's like a video essay, and it goes through all his films, Ringo Lamb, and like, I had heard of a lot of them, I might have seen a couple, but really... Um, just when it went through that all that, I was like, I literally want to watch every single one of his movies.
movies in order because they all look awesome, like School on Fire and Prison on Fire, and all these look fucking awesome. Um, and then there's also a Rare Confident, a brand new interview with actor Wong Kam Kong, and that's basically the villain of the film, and he talks about working with Ringo Lam, who's passed in, I think, 2018, and he says that he was, like, the only director he stayed in contact with and was a buddy of his. And that's a nice little kind of walk down memory lane. And the video essay by filmmaker Chris O'Neill, I think, is wonderful. And there's also an archival interview with producer Choi Hark. Uh, Troy Hark is a director and producer. He directed stuff like uh, First Encounters of the Dangerous Kind and um, We're Going to Eat You, if I'm not mistaken. I think he directed both of those, both from 1980, and he directed a slew of other films as well. Good director. Um, some wild-ass movies, too. And then he produced something like this, which is so much more whimsical than something like Dangerous Encounters of the First Kind, which is ungodly grueling. But, uh, yeah, this is a great movie, a great release from Vinegar Syndrome. Highly recommended. Okay, how come I never learn my fucking lesson? So I was like, I want to watch something else from Vinegar Syndrome. And, like, I had seen this movie years ago. This is, what, mid to late 80s. And this is Tim Kincaid, Mutant Hunt. That's right, on Blu-ray. And I was just like, well, I haven't seen this since the days of VHS. I'm going to pop in Mutant Hunt and give it a spin. Fun fact, this is uh, this trailer was one of the first things I ever put up on my, on my channel just to see how it would work and everything like that. Ripping VHS to digital and uploading that shit. So Mutant Hunt, directed by Tim Kincaid. Tim Kincaid did stuff like Breeders, right, on 42nd Street. Street, uh, Bad Girls Dormitorium, Robot Holocaust, and uh, yeah, so he, he's kind of a low-budget B-director from New York, super cheap stuff here, um, so essentially, I don't even know if anybody would recognize any of the people in this movie, I guess Jeff Fahey's sister is in here, I learned that from the special features, that's a nice touch, and uh, you know, and basically, what is the actress from Necropolis, and she has a small role in Psychos in Love, she's in here as well. I wish Necropolis would get a Blu-ray. Not that Necropolis is some masterpiece or anything. I just kind of want the Blu-ray. I kind of want to see the six-titted woman feet, uh, breastfeeding the zombies. I thought that was just so insane that I have to see it in HD. Maybe even 4K. Who knows? But Mutant Hunt is very low budget. It's a very short film. So essentially, there's this evil corporation, of course, and they feed these robots this weird endorphin drug that like makes them kind of go crazy and they kill for pleasure. They escape, of course, and uh, basically one of the doctors who is a good guy uh, wants to warn everybody. They contact a mercenary named Matt Riker, and they want to help. Matt Riker contacts a bunch of his buddies and these alien, these robots, these cyborgs, these mutant hunt things are mutant cyborgs. Basically, they can telepathically link with anybody who's hunting them, so they start tracking them. And we have these like mohawked, kind of like military style haircut sunglasses, um, fucking cyborg mutants walking around trying to kill people. They kill a bunch of people. It's not really gratuitously as violent as one would think. The special effects are done by Ed French, who I think did. Did he do the mutilator? No, that was Mark Schustrom. Ed French did a lot of other special effects work, though. And to be honest, the special effects on a budget here on the robots and stuff are really good. They're really fun. Um, it's one of the rare cases. I remember um, Lori, back to the YouTube reviews, the original case, you'll probably see it in like <clears throat> the video down below. The original case had this extendo arm like that reached out and was holding somebody. And that actually happens in the movie. She's like, I gotta give the movie props just for letting that actually happen in the movie. That shit never happens. And that does happen. So like I said, there's some gooey, fun special effects. The fight choreographing stuff's not perfect. I imagine that's time constraints and, you know, just... I would say low budget, kind of shoddy too. The acting's not great. The dialogue is really terrible, and I don't know if it's the editing or the dialogue or the acting that makes the combination of the poor performances or a mixture of all. I don't want to be too bad on it because that's a super low budget movie, and what do you really want? Um, it is ambitious, but its ambition falls short. That's I'll leave it at that. You know, rewatching this, I was like, yeah, this isn't a great movie. It's pretty much where I remembered it, like a two out of five or a two and a half out of five, somewhere along those lines. It does look great on Blu-ray and seeing the city and stuff, and HD was nice. As far as the special features are concerned, we basically have um, commentary with film historian Elizabeth Purcell, mutant maker, interview with special effects makeup artist Ed French. He talks about you know basically turning down uh, a chance to work on Toxic Avenger because you know what they weren't paying him enough and he they said he wasn't hungry enough hey i guess he wasn't if you want me to box with a kangaroo interview with director dr j buzz von Ost, uh, ormstreiner and long arm of the hunt interview with actor mark legan who basically um has a podcast as well so he uh yeah this is a tim kincaid movie i think it's is it the first tim kincaid movie i covered on here i feel like i covered breeders on here before and maybe i covered the remake of breeders i can't remember it's been a long time since i watched breeders to be honest um it's been a long time since i watched robot holocaust but yeah we, we checked out mutant hunt um, does it hold up? Did it ever hold up? Yeah, but it's it's kind of a charming movie in a way that I'm just like, I don't care if I don't love it. I just kind of have to have Mutant Hunt, and I kind of 
just enjoy owning it and watching it and looking at the special features and shit. Because I'm a weirdo. It's something I knew for a long time. And it's just like, it wouldn't be right if I didn't have Mutant Hunt in my collection. It doesn't make any sense to anybody. Okay, we're going to talk about a couple new releases here. And the first one up is Candyland. And I think this is the director's uh, directorial debut. Am I wrong? I might be wrong here. But I had not heard of this director. And I hadn't really heard of Candyland very much. So I didn't really know what to expect. You can rent it streaming and everything like that. And I looked at the cast and I had Owen Campbell in here. Owen Campbell's been doing really well lately. He was in X. He was in Super Dark Times. He was in My Heart Will Only Beat If You Tell It To. I thought all his performances were really great, really different, really strong. This is no different. It also has William Baldwin in here, which I love seeing. And it also has Josh Brolin's uh, daughter. And I was like, I saw the Brolin name and I was like, huh, is that a Brolin daughter? Is that a Brolin? You know, and then I saw her and I was like, oh, that's definitely a Brolin. And I wasn't wrong. So essentially this movie takes place in the 90s and it follows a group of prostitutes um, that work at this truck stop hotel kind of area. And they're the main characters. So what enters is this very religious girl who just escaped a cult, and they decide to kind of help her out and show her the ropes of prostitution. But at the same time, there is a murderer going around kind of slitting the throats and, like, carving out eyes. I don't remember exactly what they do to the victims, but they're killing uh, truckers and stuff, or seemingly killing truckers and everything like that. William Baldwin is a police officer in the area, and he's obsessed with Owen Campbell. And the idea that, you know, William Baldwin is playing this character who is, like, obsessed with this gay prostitute was something that I, I was kind of impressed at his performance and how he handled it and it's just come across you know very seedy the whole movie has a seedy dirty kind of exploitation feel to it and it's rare that you see something made these days on this kind of caliber you know you see them on a dirt cheap like you have like the sleaze box and gator blade films out there making a lot of these and even some of the other indie people out there making a lot of sleazy exploitation style films but on this level it's not that typical you know sometimes you're seeing them kind of bend in with terrifier 2 and even like x had some elements and stuff like that but this one you know <clears throat> it felt pretty bonkers and pretty crazy within the first 10 minutes there's a spread eagle shot and i was like holy shit i didn't even register that was happening at first but uh before long there's the reveal who the killer is and you're like oh shit this is really kind of scary and dangerous and there is like some comedy and elements like that but when the people start getting picked off the prostitutes you really gathered to really like them I liked all the characters. I thought they were well-developed, and I was all on their side. And the movie is darker than shit. Just dark. Um, another great use of... You know, I don't want to keep knocking on Mick Garris, because basically I said X. You know, uh, basically uh, dethroned uh, Don't Fear the Reaper for The Stand. And I won't say it dethroned The Stand here, too. This song uses Crowded House, Don't Dream It's Over, at the end of the film, which is another song they use in The Stand and Mick Garris's Choice. And they use it really great and effective here as well. Now, uh, so anyways, this movie is is great. It's sleazy, it's seedy, it's heartfelt, it's well-acted, love the characters, love where it went, like that it had the guts and the balls to do the things it did. Um, high body count, violent, gory, nasty, didn't notice any CGI, it seemed like all practical effects. I just, my jaw was kind of on the floor a couple times, like, I can't believe they're doing that, can't believe they did this. Um, I love this. This is, this is obviously my number one for 2023 so far. I've only watched four movies, I think, but man... I'd be shocked if this didn't make my top 10. This is everything I want in a horror film, exploitation film, and I hadn't seen anything quite like it in a long time. Wonderful, perfect, great stuff, Candyland. Even love the name. Okay, the next one is another 2023 movie that you can rent, and that's There's Something Wrong with the Children. This is a Bloomhouse one, and I'm going to be kind of relatively brief with this one. If I had to say it, sum it up quick as possible, I would say this reminds me of the Spanish, I think it's a Spanish film, Here Comes the Devil, which is a really story by Adrian uh, Bogliano, I believe, and that's a great film. I feel like it has some elements of that here. So essentially what we have here is two couples kind of on vacation and staying in like the southwestern kind of area, and uh, they go kind of explore a little bit with uh, one of the couple and the kids. One couple has kids, one couple doesn't. It causes like a lot of conversation and turmoil and all this kind of stuff here, relationship issues, whatnot. And uh, basically what happens is when they go in this cave, the kids are infatuated with this hole, this deep hole and this, you know, whatever. And they kind of pull the kids away. But um, at night they kind of go back and something tragic happens and the kids just come back and they're not really as they would seem. And they start to manipulate the situation in this kind of crazy ways and they pit everybody against each other in really effective ways. So I think this movie is well made. 
well acted, well shot, well constructed script and everything like that. Um, it definitely follows the evil kids kind of storyline and there's nothing wrong with that. I think this one is pretty effective and then pretty professionally made and I remember a couple needle drops in the beginning being well done and this is one I watched very early in the week so I'm a little like scatterbrain on it but I remember liking it. I didn't absolutely love it. Um, this one I may rewatch before the year's over just to kind of feel how I am grasping at it again but uh, there's something wrong with the children. Definitely worth checking out if you get a chance. Give it a rental or if it comes to a streaming service. I think that you have done a lot worse probably this year already. I mean, like I said, it's not the worst one I've seen this year. I did quite enjoy it, so there's something wrong with the children. Um, yeah, and, and like I said, it, it becomes very aggravating to be in the situation that any of these people would be in. It's scary, too, that something like this would happen. You would be wrongfully blamed for it. Okay, the next one is another new one that's coming to Shudder from RLJ, and this is Kids vs. Aliens. You can run it now, though. And Kids vs. Aliens, this is basically uh, a longer version of the short from VHS2 directed by Jason Eisner. This is definitely inspired by that you guys know the short with the aliens on here by jason eisner jason eisner uh, directed tree venge the short but uh, also of course you know hobo with the shotgun which i adore and i've always been waiting for him to do a follow-up a feature film to hobo with the shotgun i know he dabbled in like abc's adapt and and some other shorts like that but really wanted to see what he could do as far as another feature is concerned and i love the original short so i was like kids versus aliens okay here we go so basically this one's tone was a little weird to me because you know in the original kids for aliens it has like the kids are doing pranks and everything and it's funny but it has like a serious tone and it's really dark and twisted and just really kind of messed up and this one has like the um the the kind of gory weird twist to it that it's nasty but it's now ne it's never really i don't want to say sincere because i don't think it's insincerity is on purpose but it comes across a little insincere at times and goofy uh too much to be scary but at the same time it's not goofy or, or crazy enough to be satirical like psycho Goreman. does that make any sense so it's it's weirdly caught in this weird tonal kind of film element here basically we have a group of kids who like to make wrestling videos and movies and everything with their older sister the older sister kind of meets a new group of friends that are older and bullies and dicks and she starts hanging out with them and basically there's a big party at the house and of course all these aliens attack right then they incorporate like the lake house element because very rarely do you see gray aliens kind of swimming in water that kind of adds an element of scariness but like i said the movie has this weird goofy tone to it where like although it is gory and crazy i never really felt like there were stakes or i never really was worried for anybody even if they were gonna die i just was like eh, it is i know it's not uh, you know if that makes any sense to anyone and i normally kind of eat this stuff up like stuff like psycho Goreman, i i love it and that's because maybe Maybe it has that satirical edge to it. This one I felt tonally was just a little off. And I will rewatch it because the special effects are gnarly. They're fun. There's people melting. The aliens look pretty decent. Um, and it has, like somebody said, this kind of going for the Monster Squad style thing. And I don't really see the Monster Squad style tone. Like, I feel like it's just uh, the acting's not as strong as, as a lot of the, you know, uh, you know those uh, 80s kids movies. I feel like the acting's much stronger in those, the ambulance things. Um, and also, I think that, uh, you know, the tone is kind of off in this. I think the tone is off. There's something that really I have a, a, a disconnect with a lot of these kind of movies like this and i shouldn't because on paper it's everything i would want but the tone to me just didn't rub me the wrong way where the characters didn't seem real at all especially the bully he is so over the top it's just like whatever now i just like there's a certain point where you have to kind of walk that line and be a dick but be real realistic and understand but he just comes across as a cartoon and although everybody's over the top and weird he is the biggest cartoon of them all and he really doesn't fit to me but that's just how i personally felt um i think it's worth looking at for the special effects alone and the funness element and i will be revisiting this before the year's end because i could definitely be wrong or in a bad mood or just not in the right set of mind to watch kids vs aliens but the title is not doing money favors either i think because it's it's a lot more violent and gratuitous than one would think with a title like kids vs aliens so uh, yeah. Okay, the next one up is uh, the Patreon pick, and I think this is Chris Carroll, or was it Jim Simon who picked this? Um, and it is Violated Angels from 1967, and this director, Koji Watsasaka, basically he's a big cult uh, uh, Japanese director. He did a lot of films in the 60s, 70s, and 80s, a lot of films. This one's 56 minutes long, and this is weird. This is kind of like artsy exploitation fetish film, I would kind of put it. It's in black and white, but it does go into color at the very end, like very artsy. And this is uh, the Japanese take on the Richard Speck murders. Now, the Richard Speck murders happened in 1966 in Chicago in July, I believe, of 66. This movie was released in March of 1967. So less than six months or whatever it was, you know, 
more than six months, but less than a calendar year, we have this Japanese version out. Now, there's been other takes of it, you know, Born for Hell, which came out in the, I think, 70s, 76, which is a really fantastic movie that Severn put out. But this this hot, this hot right after the idea happened is, is very intense. It's very crazy. And a lot of times, you know, if it was more modern, maybe the exploitation element of it would hurt hurt make me have a hurt opinion of the film but i think this one's artistically done enough that uh it kind of strikes me as just bizarre kind of a weird film being made in general so we follow the story of this guy who's wandering around the ocean and with a gun and he one day he's looking at these nurses which is the story of richard speck you know basically i think speck murdered his mother and then went to this nurse dormitorium and murdered like seven of the eight girls there in one head so essentially what happens is he wanders in this and the girls the nurses are spying on some of the roommates and one, two of them are partaking in the lesbian act and they pull him from the streets and make him look and this kind of causes him to snap and you know Born for Hell also had the lesbian element in there where two of the girls were lesbians and he made them feel bad about it and they also had the homosexual relationship between him and the young man the, the kind of the male prostitute now which makes me wonder is there any truth to the lesbian um, activity in not that it matters really but I'm just wondering that both these movies had that distinct moment where there was this lesbian moment in there now, I don't know if that was surely there for exploitation or if there was some sort of lesbian relationship among the nurses. And if there was, the idea that they create, they've somehow made this be more of a springboard for the killer's, uh, you know, the catalyst for the killer's actions is really kind of weird or tasteless or maybe there's some truth behind it. I'm not 100% sure, but it is interesting to think. So basically what I liked about this movie quite a bit is it's it's brutal in its depiction of the murders and it's very matter-of-fact and disturbing. But also there's certain points you have that harsh reality of the murders and everything and the people reacting and crying and it's disturbing but then you have the fantasy world that the killer's in and the delusions you see through his point of view the girls laughing at him and pointing at him and the sound design with the the wind outside is really effective you know this was very impressive for the time and very disturbing due to the sound uh the sound mix and the elements of mixing those harsh reality uh with the fantasy of the killer i felt like that was a good way to portray a serial killer or a serial murderer i guess he's technically a mass murderer and then it gets really kind of, I, I don't want to say like uh, psychedelic, I would say psychedelic, I would say like more artistic and in depth and philosophical towards the end of the film. And it, it just worked for me. It was short. It was, I don't I wouldn't say to the point, but it's fucking weird. And it, it gets right into the film. And, and there's some real brutal moments in here and torture and murder of the people and some really haunting imagery. I would recommend checking out Violated Angels. I definitely will watch a lot of his other films. I have a bunch of them uh, available to me. I know they're not the easiest to find but you just have to do some hunting for them great stuff uh highly recommended um a weird take on the richard speck story uh, from the japanese point of view um now if anybody doesn't know the story of richard speck it, it's a wild one look him up and you'll see footage of him later on in prison and he had transitioned to um you know growing breasts and everything like that and he is infamous for saying if they knew how much fun i was having they would have let me out um just a crazy crazy person in in a crazy story i should say not person obviously he's not mentally there but just a, a crazy story in you know american history and this time it's told by a japanese filmmaker and i believe in born to hell born for hell was a united kingdom filmmaker so it's weird like you know the two best renditions of richard speck are not even american movies uh i don't think so that's crazy Okay, questions, comments, concerns, all that stuff going on right now. Ken Coakley, when you answered the question, which video company would you rather work for, by saying Vinegar Syndrome, I started to remember that I that they have a brick-and-mortar store called The Archive in Bridgeport, Connecticut. I plan to go there once I finally start walking and get out of this nursing home. I really hope you do, and let me know. You should do some video of it. I've, I've always wanted to go there, and I know they're planning some more brick-and-mortar shops eventually. The Archive looks like heaven for movie collectors. They have soundtracks on vinyl and Blu-rays from all over. I also like the tables they set up at conventions. Every time I went to Rock Shock, and I always went to home with a ton of movies because they would have great deals yeah vinegar syndrome is my favorite i like the people there i do the yearly sub even if it costs me an arm and a leg he uh continues salem's lot aired on cbs when i was 12 or 13 and it was the tv event of the season in my school david soul was a huge star because starsky and hutch james mason was already a hollywood legend lance Kerwin was popular because of a show called james at 15 fred willard was a tv actor who did the show with martin mole 
Um, this film was up there as a vampire film that was actually scary. The skin of the vampires is similar to the skin color of zombies in Dawn of the Dead, for sure. Also, Lance Kerwin could have passed for David's little son, so that was good casting. Although he's not his son in the film, he definitely is like the new version of him in this town because of you know the writing and everything in the pay place. Kenneth McMillan was my favorite in my favorite film in 1984, The Pope of Greenwood Village, with Mickey Rourke and Eric Roberts. Ed Flanders went on to do a TV show called Saint Elsewhere with Denzel Washington and David Morris. Fred Willard was on a mock late night talk show with Hart Mole that was a spinoff of a late night soap called uh, opera called Mary Hartman. Mary Hartman, which featured Sid Haig. Sorry, my Asperger's is in overdrive again. LOL. That's perfectly fine. I appreciate the info. You and your horror movies. You guys ever going? Are you guys going to cover the Salem's Lot miniseries too? Probably not, but down the line, probably. Maybe we'll do them together. This, the one from like the early 2000s with Rob Lowe, and then the new one that's supposed to come out. Okay, uh, Burns. Hi there. I love Liverleaf too. Is there a DVD that exists somewhere? I don't know if there's a DVD American side, but the your best bet is to always go to liver uh, to go to Blu-ray.com and like click movies. The little tab, click like the international symbol, and then click movies on the side and type it in. I know there's a Blu-ray you can import. I don't know if it's English friendly. I know there's also DVDs out there. I don't know if they're English friendly. It would be a shame. I'd love to have it on Blu-ray, uh, English friendly Blu-ray myself. I would buy it. Zach Nolan. Glad you finally got to watch Salem's Lot. Somehow I knew you'd like. It. I always thought it was funny that the town slot name was the town slot was nicknamed Boom Boom Bonnie. It's pretty crazy. Nick Moa, though I stated uh, the cold weather means curling up and watching movies, does it have to be that damn cold? Yikes. I can understand my cats not venturing out. They have more sense than their owner. Um, questions. More, most Westerns seem to have some bias in history. Um, were you always interested in Wild West, or did watching Westerns pique your interest? Huh. You know, when I was, I, I guess Westerns were always on television because my dad liked them, and I always had, like, you know, I guess you'd say cowboys and Native American little toys and figures, little, like, army men style toys. So I was always infatuated by it, you know. But growing up, I can't remember a time when there weren't Westerns on the television or something that I was always infatuated by. So I think that I am interested in the Wild West. I don't know what came first. It's a chicken or egg. You know, was I interested in the Wild West and the movies or the movies and the Wild West? I mean, I've always loved Westerns as a kid. You know, I had my favorites like Tombstone and, um, Young Guns and Once About Time in the West and stuff like that. Have you seen Dead Birds, a 2004 whole western kind of featuring Henry Thomas, uh, Patrick Fugit, and Mark Boone Jr.? If so, any thoughts? No, I've always wanted to see it, but I've not watched it. Any chance of us getting to see Mr. Park on Ice if this cold continues? No. I don't roller skate, I don't ice skate. Uh, definitely wouldn't survive in rollerball. Take it easy till next week. Uh, Kentucky Kentuckinator. I watched Salem's Lot again recently, and you're right. The Kenneth McMillan and Jason Mason interrogation scene really stands out. Small town, but street smart cop against refined old world gentleman. It's a ver verbal game of cat and mouse, and maybe the best part of the movie. It's my part. I loved it. I thought it was great. Bro Mag One. Jump the Shark is a Happy Day reference. Um, yeah, I, and I explained Dave Z went through the whole thing where Fonzie jumps a shark, and it was all downhill from there. Like, yeah, basically Tom uh, Bruner also said something horse cinema yes it was when the fawns literally jumped a shark while surfing so basically guys we're gonna hop into the update it's not a huge update but uh it's big enough i hope you guys enjoy it and adios all right let's hop into this update only five titles though but uh first up is the dennis collection with the dennis one and the dennis two both directed by brian yonsna yusna um, underrated director, and these movies are fun. I, it's been a long time since I watched them. I actually remember the Dennis 2 being a little underrated, a little bit more zany and goofier than the first one. But yeah, I'm looking forward to this. Uh, great prices on these Vestrons. Loving that. Uh, loving that they're putting a lot of these out. Uh, I collect the line because they're affordable now, and you know they put out a lot of good stuff. So the dentist. Look forward to checking those out. Next up, we got... Um, well, uh, basically imprint order came in from Black Friday. We have Andy Garcia in Things to Do in Denver When You're Dead. I've always loved this movie, Boat Drinks. It's just one that always stuck with me. I guess some people would call it, you know, like a Tarantino-style ripoff, basically. But it's got a wonderful cast. It's got, of course, Andy Garcia. Um, it's got Christopher Lloyd. It's got Bill Nunn, William Forsythe, Treat Williams, Steve Buscemi, Christopher Walken, Don... Um, Don Stark. It's just a wonderful cast. Um, just look at that whole cast in there. And I guarantee I'm missing some people. Jack Warden. Oh, he's wonderful in it too. Feruza Bulk. I just love this movie. Boat Drinks, if anybody's ever seen it. Then we have The Beast. Um, this is a, a movie I think I might have seen on TV. I, I wouldn't bet my life on it, but it's a war film. About a tank, of course. Looks pretty awesome. Even in War, the Human Spirit Triumphants. Um, yeah, so pretty cool. Look forward to checking that out. Then we have Steve McQueen's last film, The Hunter. 
really cool film. I think this is based off a book. He's like a bounty hunter. Uh, Tracy Walters in it. I remember this movie being really fun. Uh, good stuff. Um, unfortunately, you know, Steve McQueen didn't live too long. And that's unfortunate. I mean, he would have had a lot more great films. But this is a cool film, if I'm not mistaken. There's a really cool uh, um, scene where they chase somebody through a cornfield in the car and everything. Then we have Dead Again with uh, Kenneth Branagh and uh, who is that? Uh, Emma Thompson. This one I have not seen. Uh, I picked it up. How many times... Can you die for love? I don't know. That's a good question. Not a bad question, Bert. So, yeah. Anyways, not seen this one. Uh, looks interesting enough. Heard good things. So I grabbed this one. They had the sale. And that is the update. We're going to hop back to the video. All right, guys. Thank you very much for watching. And as always, have a good one. Bye.